I ask you, if you're here tonight and you don't own a Bible, you don't own one, I want you to hold your hand up in the air. We, we have a Bible for you. We want to give it to you. It's our gift to you. And we just want to encourage you, get in the Word of God. You're going to struggle through life. You're going to bounce around in the dark until you get the Word of God coming alive. And you might, th- you might think, well, I don't know how to read it. I don't know what to do with it. We'll get there next. But first, let's get a copy of the book in your hand, amen? And let's get in there and study and begin to grow. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to grow. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, Tony preached 267 times last year. 267 times. Tonight he's going to share portions of each one of those messages with us. <laughs> Amen. Uh, 18 and a half years as the dean at Rama Bible School. Written numerous books, done all kinds of travel. An incredibly gifted man, but uh, a heart for people. And I tell you what, it's been a pleasure. Just He, he got in Friday night and we, it's just been a joy to, to be around him. And, I, and um, you know, you, you probably picked up on the, from me before that, that, you know, preachers are hard to get along with sometimes. And it is an awesome privilege and an honor for us to be able to share with you tonight as we celebrate what God's done, is we, it, the ability and the opportunity to share with you this great ministry gift to the body of Christ. Would you welcome him tonight as he comes to bring the word? Brother Cook. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, hey, while you're standing, while you're standing, let's just go ahead and look to God and thank Him right now for what He's done in the last three years. But I'll tell you what I'm excited about. If this is what God's done in three years, I'm excited about what's ahead. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for life. Thank you for hope. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that lifts us and enables us and energizes us and equips us. Lord, we just thank you for what you've done here at the garden in the last three years. And Lord, I believe what you said, what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian church, that you that have begun a good thing in them, that you'll perform it, you'll perfect it, you'll bring it to total completion. Father, we just thank you for your presence tonight. We thank you that you're already and already have begun touching lives and bodies and emotions. And and Lord, you've just lifted us with your presence. And Father, we just thank you for the outstanding things you're going to say and do to bless us tonight, to help us love you more and serve you more effectively. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and be seated. And um, this is my first time in Kennewick and this area, and uh, I've so enjoyed being here. And I really kind of came because I got to know your pastor up at Pastor Rick Sharkey's and uh, just uh, felt a click, a connection with him. And uh, coming here uh, and seeing what God is doing here, I I can better understand why. And your pastor was very gracious in, uh, you know, wanting to pass out flowers and tell how great you are and and all that. And I know that he meant that very sincerely. And I know that it's very true because he is very accurate when he says it's not just about one person. It's not just about one couple. But uh, even though that's true, one person and one couple do carry a lot of weight and influence. 
And so neither do we, as much as you want to hand out flowers to everybody, you know, I just want to say, and I think everybody recognizes this, you guys are catalysts, you are uh, movers, you are shakers, you are, you are a, a huge part. Because when God wants to do something in the earth, he always starts with a leader. Somebody said this, for God so loved the world that he did not send a committee. God always starts with a leader and and he raises that leader up and then and then what God does is he surrounds that leader with with good people and uh, so so I I want to say along with Pastor Tom you know all the folks that are a part of this God bless you but also we want to give honor where honor is due and and uh, and let's just go ahead and give your pastor and Michelle be a good hand of greeting and love and appreciation yeah. let me just say a quick word about um, and I say this about my background not to you know lift anything up but just to give you uh, an idea of where I'm coming from. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for 29 years. Um, we'll be 28 years in full-time ministry this June. And, and I've had the privilege of being around some really great and wonderful men of God and different leaders and pastors. I, I did teach at the Bible school uh, for 18 and a half years. And during that time, I taught in the neighborhood of 13,000 individuals who are going through Bible school, many, many of whom went out and started churches and pioneered churches and took over existing churches. Uh, during my time at Rame, I had the privilege of being over their ministerial association, which means we had 2,400 licensed and ordained ministers that I was uh, in charge of that area. And my wife and I, we have been in uh, preaching in, in 44 states and in 21 countries and uh, last year we were on the road over 203 days. And, and, and so God just graced us and, and given us the privilege of being with a lot of church leaders over the, the last uh, 28 years or so. And I don't know what, what your background is. I don't know what your point of reference is. But what is happening here at the garden to see this in three years doesn't happen. Okay. Uh, it, it is it is very very unusual, and and for a church three years old to just have this right here without two services tomorrow would be unusual, and then you add two services tomorrow, and it just God is doing something really wonderful here, and so I don't say that so you can say yeah we're you know we're it and you know don't you know I don't say anything to. Uh, but but to give God glory and to let you know that you've got something really special here, that you have really a responsibility to steward this and uh, to see come to pass what it is that God wants to have accomplished in this place. And um, there, when I, when I uh, was invited to come, and especially as I got closer to and, you know, began to, you know, learn a little bit. I visited the website and just, um, you know, 
tried to get to know a little bit about the church, one of the things that really caught my attention was your name, the garden. I like that. And uh, my opening Bible verse tonight is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. And we're going to look at that verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, in the Amplified Bible. And it says, For we are fellow workmen, joint promoters, laborers together, with and for God. You are, what does it say? You are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. You are God's building. And I want to focus tonight on that one part of that, partly because it's the name of this church, but I want to focus on that whole idea that you are God's garden. I want you to know the idea of being God's garden is more than just a clever name that your pastor thought of three years ago. It's something that the Holy, Holy Spirit inspired about a body of believers a couple thousand years ago because he wanted them to understand something when he told them, you are God's garden. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not an expert gardener. I don't know a lot about gardening, but a few years ago at my home in Oklahoma, I decided that I had kind of a big spot in my backyard that just it needed something, and I decided I was going to build a, uh, a little pond and have a little garden around it, and I got to looking around, and actually I was up at Pastor Rick's, and um, we were over in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we stopped by a uh, kind of a Lowe's Home Depot type store, and I bought a book there on how to build a rock garden. And and I wanted it to have a little waterfall, and I, I, I had this picture in my mind of what I wanted this to look like. And so, long story short, we got a plan together, went back to Oklahoma, we dug the hole, we got the liner, we got the rocks, I built this waterfall, we put the flowers around it, we put the plants around it, and to this day in our backyard we have a, I guess you call it a water garden or something of that nature, and uh, and, and I like it, it's kind of nice, it's kind of pretty. Um, Better Homes and Garden has not yet contacted me, but I'm sure I'm on their list. Uh, you know, I'm sure they want to do a feature story on it. Maybe the no, it's really not that nice. But here's one thing I learned about a garden from that experience: in order for there to be a garden, there first of all has to be a gardener. And before a garden ever exists, at least this is what I learned from my experience: before anything ever actually was there in my backyard, do you know where it was? It was inside of me. I had an image. I had a picture in my mind of what I wanted that to look like. And then I dedicated my efforts and my energies for that season to bringing to pass what I had, the image that I had on the inside of me. Tonight, when I say the words that were spoken 2,000 years ago to another church, that you are God's garden. I want you to know that the reason that you are God's garden is because you and I have a gardener. 
there is someone who had a picture, an image on the inside of himself of what he wanted our lives to look like. And then he's now gone about his uh, task of cultivating us, uh, building in us, planting in us, watering us, fertilizing us to bring out an expression of something that existed on the inside of him. And I want you to know, here's the really neat thing about it is, is that God's not finished yet. How many of you are a work in progress? How many of you can say along with me, uh, God loves me just the way I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay this way? How many of you can say with me, I'm not all I am going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be? Part of being a, a part of a living church, and I say this, and I hope this doesn't come across critically because I don't want to be negative or, or cast you know, negatively, but I appreciated what Scott said when he talked about you know, kind of going to different churches and all of a sudden you come to a church and there's life. I grew up in a church that was kind of a, a mainline denominational type situation and I saw rituals and they didn't connect with me. I heard a lot about regulations and all that, and even though they're very good, I just I was still hungering, I was still yearning for something different, and I found out that, that in, in my situation that rituals were not going to satisfy the longing of my heart. Regulations, as good as they might be, were not going to satisfy the longing of my heart. I needed a relationship, and I thank God that that. Uh, I came across some other people and kind of came into a church where there were some, you know, kind of wild and radical folks like are here tonight that, you know, just a joyous uh, experience and expression of God. And, and, and by the grace of God, I was able to receive and partake of that and, and, and thank God that he changes our life and our heart. But I want you to know tonight that you are God's garden. Now, I want to talk about that tonight. I want to talk about what that means. I just had this idea when I came across this passage a while back. I thought, you know, the Bible says that we are God's garden, so I'm going to believe that because the Bible says it. But here's one thing I know. We may be God's garden, but we are not God's first garden. How many of you know God had another garden? And I just had this idea, and I kind of studied it out and wanted to explore it. I had this question in my mind. This is the question that came to me. I wonder if I'm God's garden today. And I know that God had an original garden back in the first couple pages of the Bible. Is there any lesson from that garden that would communicate something to me about my purpose today? Because, see, I think people need to understand who they are. They need to understand what their identity is, but they need to understand their purpose. And there are so many people that are just kind of wandering aimlessly through life, and they don't know why they're here. They don't know what they're supposed to accomplish, and they're just kind of wandering aimlessly. And if I'm God's garden, and the Bible says that I am, then I wanted to know what does that mean? So I went back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis chapter 2, and there's a verse, Genesis 2.8, that says, Then God planted a garden where? 
in Eden. We've all heard about the Garden of Eden since we were little kids in Sunday school. Then God planted a garden in Eden in the east. He put the man he had just made in it. I'd heard about the Garden of Eden all my life, but you know, there was one thing I did not know. I did not know what the word Eden meant. And I just I just grabbed a, a Hebrew dictionary and I, I looked up Eden and I found out that the word Eden means pleasure or delight. Pleasure or delight. Now, in, in my mind, I'm just studying this thing out to see is there any correlation between God's garden then and God's garden today? God's garden then was a literal garden in, the, in a place called Eden. God's garden today is your life and my life. God's garden today is the church. And I thought it was interesting that God's original garden was a, what was it again? It meant a, a pleasure and it was a delight. I grew up in a church where I did not perceive that God was very happy with me. I grew up in a church where the main thing that was in my mind, and it is true that we do have to accept the fact, you know, the Bible says that we have all what? We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I kind of had this idea that, that somehow the sin that I had committed was somehow bigger than the love that God had for me. And, and in my church, when I grew up, it wasn't really a happy place. As a matter of fact, I remember one time as a little kid, I had three older brothers. And we were going into church. And, I, and again, I, I, I don't mean this to be critical at all. It's just the culture of the time. But my brothers and I, we'd been laughing and cutting up and having a good time. And, and we'd gotten out of the car. We were in the church parking lot. And, and my dad just gently nudged me with his, his elbow and said, Son, wipe that smile off your face. We're going into church. <laughs> and so I grew up with this idea that if you're happy, you'd better quit it before you go into the church building. Because that's where God lives. So I had this impression that God really must not want us to be very happy. Because, and I had this idea that God must be irritable. He must be just, you know, old, grouchy, cranky. And if he's not happy, then he doesn't want anybody else to be happy. I grew up perceiving that God was mad at me. That he was just, you know, kind of like had the old proverbial baseball bat just waiting for me to make a mistake. And I'm so glad to know the truth. I'm so glad to know that in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of, of joy. There's even a verse in the book of Zephaniah. Let's look at it. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says, the Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a savior, who saves? He will what? He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exult over you with singing. If I'd gotten up here tonight and I just said, I want to say a couple words and you tell me what comes to mind. And I had said the words uh, rejoicing and singing. 
rejoicing and singing and asked what picture came to your mind. If you're anything like me, what would have come to your mind would probably have been a picture of what we did earlier in the service when we were collectively rejoicing and singing unto God, right? But why don't we ever think, when we hear the words rejoicing and singing, why don't we ever think about God rejoicing and singing over us? Did you know that the Bible says that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you acknowledged the fact that you had sinned, that you had missed it, that you were cut off from God because of your sin, but that when you accepted the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you, shed his blood for you, and had risen from the dead, and was offering you the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life, that when you accepted God's love in accepting Jesus as your Lord, that God didn't merely tolerate you, but he celebrated you. The Bible says that when you accepted him, that there was joy and celebration among the angels in heaven. And I, I want you to know tonight, they were not having to keep it down so as not to make God upset about it. No, God was leading the party. God was leading the celebration in rejoicing over you and singing over you. I like that kind of a God. Now, so God's original garden was Eden. It was a pleasure and a delight. You and I today, we are God's garden. God's original garden was a pleasure and a delight unto him. I believe that we are a pleasure and a delight unto God today. We are God's garden. I wanted to learn more about the garden, so I kept reading and came to Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. Let's look at that together. Genesis 2, verse 10 says, A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there divides into four rivers. The name of the first, or the first is named Pishon, it flows through Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The land is also known for a sweet-scented resin and the onyx stone. The second river is named Gihon. It flows through the land of Cush. The third river is named Hidekel and flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. So here's something else that I learned about God's original garden is that God's original garden had a river that flowed through it, and then the river flowed, where? Out of it, and it became four different rivers. And the Bible gives the name of these rivers. We'll talk about these different names, these different rivers in a minute. But I ask the question. God's original garden had a river flowing out of it. It had actually rivers flowing out of it, and I asked this question. I said, now, if I am God's garden today, then does the Bible say, the New Testament in particular, does the New Testament say anything about me and you having rivers flowing out of us? I'm just, I'm just exploring, is there any correlation between that garden and us as God's garden? That garden was a pleasure and a delight, 
I think it's safe to say that we are a pleasure and a delight unto God. That garden had rivers flowing out of it. What about me? Do I have rivers flowing out of me? And I thought about what Jesus said in John 7, 37. Look at that with me. John 7, 37. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, verse 38, he who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. How many of you remember the song we used to sing that goes, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors. It sets the, the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Now, listen, I did not come all the way to Kennewick, Washington to be nitpicky about a song, but one thing I want to point out, that song says, I've got a river of life. But here's what Jesus said. If you believe on him, he said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers, plural. And that's interesting because the original Garden of Eden had four rivers that that came out from it now i'm all i'm getting more and more curious now i'm god's garden that garden back then was his pleasure and delight i'm god's pleasure and god's delight that garden had rivers flowing out of it i've got rivers flowing out of me i'm supposed to as a believer what are these four rivers is there, any, is there any significance? I, I don't know what these names are. Pishon, Gihon, Hidekel, Euphrates. I don't know what any of those things mean. But I know how to look up those words in a dictionary. Now let me just give you this word of caution. Don't always assume that there's always some deep, mysterious, mystical meaning behind things. You know, sometimes just the real obvious is good enough. There's a little boy named Johnny that went to his Sunday school class and, and the Sunday school teacher said, Johnny, what is it that's brown and furry and kind of little and has a big bushy tail and likes to climb trees and eat nuts? And Johnny, he was thinking so hard, he said, teacher, he said, I just know that the answer has to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. Johnny was trying to find some deep mystical meaning. You don't always have to do that. Sometimes it's really, it's just a squirrel, okay? But I didn't know what this word Pishon meant. And I didn't know what these other names, so I I looked up the meanings of these four rivers that flowed out of God's original garden to see if there was a message about the rivers that are supposed to flow out of our lives today as God's garden. And here's what I found out that the word Pishon means. The word Pishon means increase. Or it means full flowing. Everybody say full flowing. Full flowing. And I like that. Because see, before I really came to know Jesus, when I was just kind of going through the religious 
rituals and the religious motions and things like that, I always felt really empty. But, but when I really made Jesus the Lord of my life, and, and when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden that, that feeling of emptiness wasn't there anymore. There was a sense of fullness. There was a sense of spiritual satisfaction. It was like the, the longing and the emptiness and the hungering of my soul was satisfied. I felt full. And I came across this scripture, John chapter 1, verse 16. I, I thought of this when I thought of the fact that the first river that flowed out of the Garden of Eden means full flowing. Look at John 1, 16. For out of his fullness, everybody say fullness. For out of his fullness or abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Now, let me just ask you this question. How many of you are really comfortable in your heart knowing that you have totally opened the door of your life to Jesus and that you have received Him? You're not resisting Him. You're not running away from Him. You know that you have received Him. Let me see your hand tonight. You know that you have received Him. See, the Bible says that when we receive Him, that we don't just get a portion we don't just get a fraction. We don't just get some little token of something. The Bible says that of his what? Of his fullness we have all received. Of his fullness. How many of you believe that verse in the Bible that says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Let me see your hand. How many of you believe that verse in the Bible that says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let me see your hand. The Bible tells us, and I love this, is so powerful, of his fullness we have all received. You didn't receive a portion or a fraction. You received what? His fullness. That means that when God came to live on the inside of you, that he came to live on the inside of you with all that he is. He didn't strip himself down in some way, shape, or form and say, well, before I go to live on the inside of them, oh, I'm going to leave my wisdom on the outside. I'm going to leave my peace, my joy on the outside. No, when he came to live on the inside of you, he came in the fullness of all that he is. I, I like this phrase. Say this out loud with me. Say, everything he is... He is in me. Isn't that powerful? We aren't supposed to just have a little trickle. It's not like, uh, this will date me, but it's not like the old little hair, whatever that thing was, a little dabble, do you? The Bible says, of his fullness we have all received. Now look at one more verse with me here. Ephesians 3.19 says, Paul is praying here for the church and he says that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ which surpasses mere knowledge without experience. See, God doesn't just want us to have a bunch of theories. That you may know, that I'm sorry, that you may be filled through all your being 
unto all the fullness of God may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. One of the other translations of that simply says, Paul was praying and he said, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How was your week last week? Hit some bumps in the road. Somebody irritated you. Somebody disappointed you. Somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do. Maybe somebody took a verbal shot at you. Anybody here getting the flesh last week? How many of you know how many of you know God's love for us is not based on our perfection? How many of how many of you are still growing? What would our week have been like last week if we'd been able to keep our focus so solidly on who God is on the inside of us and just drawn from that strength what, what if, just what if, there's, there's no condemnation in what I'm saying. I'm just trying to set a goal for us. Because Paul prayed that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. What if last week you and I had stayed so focused on the peace of God inside of us that we just couldn't worry if we tried? that we were so filled with all the fullness of God's peace that there was no room for worry? What if we had stayed so filled with all the fullness of God's faith that there was no room for fear? What if we had stayed so filled with all the fullness of God's hope that there was no room for despair? What if we had been so filled and stayed so filled with the fullness of God's acceptance that there was no room for any sense of rejection? Now, I didn't, I didn't do that last week. I'm, I'm working on that. I'm endeavoring to walk in that. But the reason that we have to stay continually filled with God and the reason that Paul prayed this for the church that you would be filled with all the fullness of God is because we leak. And that's one of the reasons why we need to come together regularly. That's one of the reasons why we need to get together and worship God and just have a time of corporate saturating in the presence of God because we leak. But the name of the first river that flowed out of the Garden of Eden was a river named Pishon, which means full flowing. And it makes me wonder, is God then saying to me as God's garden today that the first thing, the first priority for, for, from God for my life is that he wants me to have a fullness also, a full flow of his presence and power in my life. I want to look at that one verse again, Genesis 2, 11 through 12. Because when it talks about that river Pishon, it says the first is named Pishon. It flows through the land of Havilah where there is what? Where there is gold. 
Now, when Genesis 2.10 was written, or Genesis 2.11 was written, there was only one human being alive on the face of the earth. Do you know who that was? That was Adam. Have you ever stopped to think, so I'm I'm just assuming that Adam is the one getting this information because he's the only one alive. God told Adam where the gold was. He said, if you follow this full river, this full flowing river, it'll take you where the gold is. And look at the next part of that. And the gold of that land is what? Good. Notice God didn't tell him, Adam, now stay away from the gold. It's evil. He said, no, it's good gold. And the land is also known for a sweet-scented resin. If you look that up in other translations, it calls it, uh, it, it's called delium. And when you look that up in the Hebrew dictionaries, you find out that it was a sappy type of substance from a certain tree in the Middle East, had a very pleasant aroma, and you know what they used it to make? Perfume. And it was a very rare and costly perfume. And then the land is also known for a sweet-scented resin and the onyx stone. There's probably ladies in here tonight that you've got an onyx stone ring or, or bracelet or, or necklace or something. Onyx stone was a precious jewel. Now, stop and think of this with me. Adam is the only person alive. And God is telling Adam that if he will follow the full flow It will take him where the gold, the perfume, and the jewelry are located. Why did God tell Adam that? Because in just a couple of verses later, God is going to say, it is not good for man to be alone. And he created Eve. But notice, before he created Eve, see, God knew something. God knew that we men were always going to have a difficult time knowing what to get our wives. And so he told Adam basically how to get to the mall. But hey, seriously, let's jump on to the second river. The second river is called Gihon. Everybody say Gihon. The name of that river, Gihon, it literally means gushing or bursting forth. Gushing or bursting forth. Now, what the name of the first river meant full-flowing, but the name of the second river seems to take us to a higher level yet. See, I can have a full flow and be totally selfish with it. You know, as long as my stomach is full, as long as my bank account is full, as long as I've got all my needs met, it, it, it there's not just one river that went out of the Garden of Eden. There was a first river, meaning full-flowing. God wants us to have fullness. But then the second river meant bursting forth or gushing. In other words, it speaks of overflow. Because it would seem, if there is a message in this, it would seem that God 
didn't simply want us to settle for personal fullness. But he wanted to make sure that we went beyond that and were able to focus on having enough of an overflow so that everybody else could be blessed from the rivers that are flowing out of our life also. Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole made this statement. He said, the counterfeit trinity is me, myself, and I. Let's look at another statement that Jesus made. John chapter 4, verse 14 in the message version. He said, anyone who drinks the water that I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing. Everybody say gushing. Gushing fountains of endless life. That second river means bursting forth or gushing. See, real quickly, there's three attitudes that I can approach life with. Attitude number one is simply called survival. And if I am in a survival mode, you know, you see some survival prayers in the Bible, don't you? Where David said, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord. When we're in a survival mode, we're thinking about one thing and one thing only. We're thinking about what I need. Any of you ever been in a survival mode? You just got hit from so many different directions. Maybe you felt like you were losing it emotionally. You felt like you were losing it mentally. You were about to go under financially. Maybe relationally you were, you were really struggling. Uh, we've all been in survival mode at one time or another. And uh, sometimes when we're in survival mode, you know, we, our head is spinning. We can barely think how to pray. You know, we, we just may be God help. That may be the most we can get out. I don't know about you, but I've been in survival mode before. I don't like it too much, and I sure am glad when God comes in and helps and turns that situation around and gets me out of survival mode. Get out of the crisis. But you know what? Once we get out of survival mode, it's real easy to move into the second attitude of living, and that's what we call a success mentality. And in a success mentality, I'm not just thinking about surviving. The crisis is kind of over. It's past. In, in, in success mode, I'm not thinking about what I need. I'm thinking about what I want. See, because I'm out of the crisis, now I'm thinking about a little bit of extra. Um, you know, accumulating, saving, having, extra, that type of thing. But you know the problem with, and, and, and God wants to bless us, God wants to give us the desires of our heart and things like that, but the problem with both success or survival and success is that it's all based upon what I need and what I want, but what's the common denominator? I. There's a third attitude that God wants us to move into, and I think this corresponds to Gihon, this gushing forth, this bursting out, this overflow. And it's what we would call a significance mentality. Survival is based on what I need. Success is based on what I want. But significance is based on what I can give. It's the overflow. It's the bursting forth. So the first river was a river of fullness. The second river was a river of overflow. And then the third river, Hedekel. The third river, I, I looked up that word in the Hebrew dictionary, and it was a very interesting definition. It, they said it was actually a word picture that you can't just really uh, 
define it, but it's a picture of something. And the word Hedekel, the third river, is a word picture of an arrow. But it's a very specific type of arrow. It is not an arrow lying on the ground. It is not even an arrow stuck in a quiver. The third river, Hedekel, is a word picture of an arrow that is swift in flight. It is a word picture of an arrow that has just been released from a drawn bow. And, and I said, now God, if I'm God's garden today, and if you put some things in your original garden to be a lesson, to be kind of a prophetic picture for my life, I understand what it means for me to have a river of fullness in and out of my life. I understand what it means to have a, a river of overflow in and out of my life. But, but I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm getting it on this swift arrow in flight. And all of a sudden I realized, what do you have to have to have a swift arrow in flight? What does an archer always do before he releases the arrow? He always aims at a target. And I said, God, are you communicating to me that the first thing you desire for our lives, if we are your garden today, is that you want us to be full of yourself, full of your blessing, full of your peace. And secondly, you want us to have an overflow so that other people are being blessed. But then thirdly, and this is what it seemed like the Lord was communicating through this, God wants us to be people of purpose. People who have specific goals. People who are living intentionally. They, they are people who have deliberately determined that they're going to accomplish certain things for God. Just like an arrow is never released randomly and arbitrarily. Any responsible person, a hunter or a marksman, whoever shoots an arrow, first of all, has a very, very specific target in mind. There was a church that was having to understand you all just had a great time of prayer and fasting in this community and thank God for those kind of events to seek God to you know, just allow Him to do special things in our life. There was a church that was having a special time of prayer. And, and in this particular individual service, the pastor had just told everybody to, you know, find a place and pray. If you want to walk and pray, walk. If you want to kneel and pray, kneel. If you want to sit in your chair, if you want to come up and kneel around the front. And, and so everybody just kind of was doing their own thing, praying. And the pastor was going around to different people and finding out, brother, what are you praying for? And he'd pray with that individual and just come into agreement with them about their prayers. And the pastor had prayed for several people. And there was one gentleman in particular that had come up to the front of the platform and he was kneeling down and he was praying louder than anybody else in the whole room. I mean, he was lifting up. He was fervent. Oh, God, you know, he is praying loud. And so the pastor finally made his way over to that gentleman. And the pastor touched him on the shoulder. And the man looked up and the pastor said, Brother, what are you praying for? And the man looked up at the pastor and said, Well, nothing in particular. Now I have a question for you, a theological question tonight. If you are praying for nothing in particular, and the Lord answers your prayer, 
what does that look like? Let's just say you've just got mountain-moving faith. You've got, we'll just use the term, you've got hundredfold faith. And you're praying for nothing in particular. And God answers that. What is a hundred times zero? God wants us to be people of purpose. That's why Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. That's why James said, you have not because you ask not. God wants us to have individual goals and targets in our life that I don't just mean things that we just carnally and in a fleshly way fabricate, but, but goals that He helps us come up with and goals and dreams that He inspires. And God also wants us to have corporate goals. Here's a verse, what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9.26, New Living Translation. He said, I run with purpose in every step. Hedekel, a swift arrow in flight. Real quickly, what's the fourth and the final river? It's Euphrates. I looked up the word Euphrates in the Hebrew dictionary and found out that, and I like this, it means sweet or fruitful. And, and I, I just said, God, you are so smart. You knew that a few thousand years down the road we were going to stumble across that verse in the Bible that says that we are your garden. And we're going to look to you and say, well, what does that mean? And we're going to be able to go back to the very Garden of Eden and find out that just like it was a pleasure and a delight to you, that you take pleasure and delight in us. Isn't it good to be able to picture a God that's smiling over us, that's rejoicing over us, that, that is singing over us? I didn't mean He always likes everything we say and we do, but He loves us. And He values us. And he set his affection on us. I want you to know tonight, you are the pearl of great price. That Jesus gave everything up so he could purchase you. I like what one little boy said. He said, I'm special because God don't make no junk. We're his pleasure and we're his delight. And just like that river, that garden had four rivers going out of it. I believe that those rivers speak prophetically to our life. That God wants us to have a Pishon. He wants us to have a full flow of His presence. He wants us to have a Gihon. He wants us to have overflow. He wants us to be a Hidekel. He wants us to have a deliberate purpose and intention in our life. Goals born by Him. And He wants us to have Euphrates. He, when we do the first three well, the fourth is just going to be inevitable. We're going to have sweetness in our life. Our life is going to be fruitful unto Him. And one final verse here, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul said this. He said, He uses us. The last part of this. He uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. There's a sweetness coming out of a church like this. You bless your community. Men, when you come into this church, you know, we may hear the word perfume and we may think that word's a little bit not too masculine, but I'll tell you what, you come into this church, you get your life changed by the power of God, and all of a sudden your wife is going to start 
finding a sweetness and a pleasantness coming out of your life. It's going to bless her. It's going to bless you. Your kids are going to be better off because of the goodness of God that comes out of your life. The fruit of the Spirit. It's just good. Let's pray together tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you that we are your garden. And Lord, I believe you've planted this garden in this place. And I pray that the very words that we've heard tonight, the words that were written thousands of years ago, will be fulfilled in this place. That Lord, out of this place, both corporately and individually, there will be a full flow. There will be the fullness of your blessing. Why? Because Lord, our hearts are hungry and we're never going to be satisfied with just a little trickle or just a little bit of religious ritual. Lord, we want to be filled with all the fullness of You. And Lord, we want that overflow. We want that bursting forth. We want that gushing forth. And Lord, we don't want to be people that live aimless lives, just wandering and bouncing from this to that. Lord, we want to be people of purpose. We want to be people who have set our heart, who have resolved in our mind that we're going to serve you and we're going to glorify you and we're going to fulfill your purpose and we're going to become everything that you've ordained us to become. And Lord, we want to be like that fourth river. We want to be that Euphrates. We want to have that sweetness and that fruitfulness coming from our lives. Father, we commit ourselves to that. We consecrate ourselves to that. And hey, before we go tonight, let me just ask you this question. There may be people here tonight that you're like I was at one time. I was kind of religious. I mean, I'd go to church from time to time and, you know, I believed in God. I believed in the Ten Commandments. I believed in heaven. I believed in the Bible and things like that. But my problem was is that everything was pretty much in my head. It was all just kind of theory. Uh, If you'd said to me, Tony, do you know for sure that if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven? Man, I would have had to say, well, you know, I hope so. But I didn't know so. See, somebody loved me enough to tell me that, Tony, it's not enough just to try to be a good person. It's not enough just to try to be religious. Jesus said this. He said, you must be born again. And I had to come to this understanding that I couldn't trust in myself because I was never going to be good enough. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. I had to really turn away from trusting in myself, trusting in my religion, trusting in my church, trusting in anything that had to do with me. And I had to give all of my life and all of my heart to Jesus.